0: Welcome to Mill Resource Radio, where we highlight military and veteran support organizations. Hear directly from organization leaders and those who've benefited from their services. Thousands of organizations exist, but if you don't know about them, how do you seek their help? Join us for discovery, access, and knowledge about effective military and veteran organizations, sharing their missions and accomplishments directly with you. And now here are your hosts, Linda Crater and Les Davis. We are so glad that you have joined us this morning. We have a very special show for you today with one of our own, uh, Justin Constantine, one of the co-hosts of our show, will be with me to talk about his new book, My Battlefield, Your Office, Leadership Lessons from the Front Lines, that was just published, and I'm joined by another co-host, Pamela Stokes Eggleston, who will be with me, and we will both quiz and... Uh, Question: Justin on the whys and wherefores about his new book and we are just really very pleased to be able to talk about this valuable book on management and leadership and what the difference is and how this can help everyone. So welcome Pam. Glad you're here with me. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. And Justin we are delighted to have you on the other side of this microphone so that we can talk to you about your book and would you like to say a little bit about your background for everybody? I can give the background and the bio, but I'd rather it come from you.
1: Oh, no, thank you, Linda. I really appreciate you having me on here. And as you said, it is interesting to be on the other side. Just is a quick background um, <clears throat> where I'm coming from. Uh, I joined the Marine Corps back in 1997 when I was in law school. So I served on active duty as a judge advocate doing criminal defense and criminal prosecution. For about five years, I left active duty uh, in two thousand and four and joined the reserves. And next year, I hadn't ever vol- I hadn't ever deployed while I was active duty after nine eleven. I felt embarrassed by that, so the opportunity came to switch to a different reserve unit in Washington D.C. to deploy to Iraq uh, in the fall of two thousand and six as a civil affairs team leader. So I volunteer for that, was excited to lead Marines in Iraq, not as a judge advocate, not as a lawyer, but uh, with an infantry battalion. And so we were attached to 3rd Battalion, 2nd Marines out Camp Kent with June. It was a fantastic experience. Uh, you know, We were in Iraq, now on in 2006. <clears throat> I was injured while I was there. I was actually shot in the head by a sniper, as some of your viewers know. Uh, but thanks to an incredibly... Uh, courageous Navy Corpsman named George Grant. I'm still here. He did, uh, it was like a movie what he was able to do uh, while the sniper was still trying to shoot the, him and the other Marines. And uh, a young Marine named Jordan Bueller risked uh, driving over roadside bombs and drove him very quickly to an aid station. So a young Marine and a young uh, sailor saved my life. Since then I've had a very fortunate recovery I'm based in large part my wife, Dahlia, who was my girlfriend and caregiver at the time, and we've grown incredibly close. We were married in 2008, and uh, she's been a cornerstone of my recovery. And now we both support each other in what we each are doing. Uh, she's a fantastic teacher, and and now studying for her PhD at Columbia up in New York, where we live. But I, I, I work part time at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, helping veterans and wounded veterans and caregivers with employment. I advise different corporations on leadership and I'm an inspirational seeker now. I guess I'm what's called a recovering lawyer because I don't do that anymore. (laughs) It's not good for you. Uh, So so, uh, I have my own business. I'm an entrepreneur and and so I'm I'm involved in a lot of different things, mostly related to veterans and leadership and veteran employment.
0: Well, that was a a very succinct (laughs) summation of a very broad (laughs) background. But if you look at it i think all of us listening were noting all of the places where you gained your leadership and your challenges that brought you to being able to inspire others to talk about leadership to be able to help management and it probably helped you motivate to write this book am i correct
1: yeah it sure did um you know we all have stories in our heads, and the hardest part is getting them down on paper. Mm -hmm. Even for someone like me, who was an English major in college, and I love reading and writing, but still, it's different when you're trying to write your own book. But um, it forces you to think about things. And we, in our society, we give a certain value to people who have taken the time to write a book. And I think that's appropriate because it means you have sat down, figured out what's important about a particular topic and taken the time to write it and review it and revise it many times over. And so for me, it was it was a nice walk down memory lane and maybe think about people I hadn't thought about in quite some time, but also maybe think about what is important to me in a leader what what are some lessons I've learned in the Marine Corps and outside the Marine Corps about what good leadership is and what bad leadership is. Um whether you're a CEO, a mid level manager, or starting your own business or, you know, moving on to the next part of your own transition. So it was beneficial to me to just to write a book. And now of course, um A lot. uh, I'm getting some great feedback, and people are learning about me who maybe now have known who I was before. So, of course, that's helpful as well.
0: You know, it it is so interesting, though, that I and I'm glad you have written about it. And I've bought the book. I will confess, I haven't yet read it, but it's on my uh, iPad, ready to go. (laughs) Um, I, I. it would have been a nice thing for me to do ahead of time, but we put this together at the last minute, so right. I didn't have a chance. Right. Um, but I think it was interesting that in the reviews that I read, a lot of it talked about the difference between management and leadership. And I think that it's valuable to go back and talk about what is the difference between management and leadership, because I think too many people use that term synonymously. And there's a big difference
1: between the two. So can you
0: elaborate on that?
1: Sure, you're right. And um, I do think being a leader and manager are typically two very different things. And um, I think, first of all, I think anyone can be a great leader. I don't don't believe that you're born that way. Certainly some people may be born with different attributes or or character traits are developed early on that we ascribe to. or or associate with great leaders, but I do think, especially in today's age of YouTube and TED Talks and webinars and and these sorts of things, anyone who is committed to it can take the time to learn to be a great leader. And so I think that differentiates between being a leader and being a manager is where you have chosen to put the time in to make a difference in your lives, your own life, but really the lives of others around you. And that's... People who work for you, people who you work for, or your clients, or who, or your organization, or whoever that is. And so in my mind, and maybe this is a little generic, but I think manager is, is someone who kind of is uh, maintaining a status quo, who's making sure the boxes are checked, who's just keeping things going as compared to a leader who is someone, uh, man or woman, who lays out a strategy, lays out a vision, takes decisive action, and keeps pushing forward in the right directions despite all the change that may be going on around them.
0: That's a good explanation. I would add only one thing from my entrepreneurial experience, is that I think that a good leader knows how to inspire the managers to execute the plan well and with motivation and and additions and acting because i think you need good managers underneath a good leader in order to get anything done so there's a value to good management who also can uh take good leadership lessons and learn because some people can develop into leaders and some people are just terrific managers at executing the plan don't you think both are vital to a project
1: they are And, and if i described a negative connotation. Of managers, I didn't mean to do so. They, they are vital, but you're right. It is a leader who, whose job it is to inspire, inspire them on a daily basis. In the Marine Corps, uh, that's common. Uh, we, we know who our leaders are, and it's their job to move others around them, um, and that starts from a general and goes all the way down to a private first class who is responsible for other for privates around him or her. So it happens at every level of the chain. Absolutely.
2: Justin, I think with my experience um, in my former life as a manager, I was one of those uh, folks that as Linda referred to checking the boxes and that kind of thing and I was going out of that and I was going into my leadership ability which you know I think like you said can be learned and everyone one can have and that was kind of a I was it was a juxtaposition for me so you can be both but I think that for me it was kind of uh, because I was working in a bureaucratic structure it was very challenging for me to manage that um, particularly uh, when it was, it's just kind of like I was trying to go out of just checking the boxes and doing yeah. the timesheets for the folks I was supervising, right? So how do you, do, do you have any suggestions about, if, if you're in that position in terms of a, a balance and perhaps managing both of that or or, or dealing with uh, both being a manager and a leader?
1: Yeah, well, uh, certainly that is a challenge. I, You know, I worked for the government, uh, after the Marine Corps, I work for the government in a number of positions. and. and right. I, I saw that being an issue where everyone kind of has their positions already detailed what they will do. And maybe there's not a lot of room for uh, professional leadership growth. But, um, you know, I guess it depends on the situation. And it's not always just about, and I talk about this in the book, it's not just about work. You know, there's plenty of opportunities for leadership in your personal lives Mm -hmm. in the you belong to, uh, even whether it's in your church or nonprofits or or your kids' little league team, and so you're right. Sometimes there just not, might not be that opportunity at work, but. um Maybe you are, maybe you take an unofficial role. Maybe you're, you're in a company that has uh, employment resource groups for veterans or, or different, different minority groups, and you can be a leader there. So it's not necessarily your job, but, you know, you're volunteering and leading a team there. When I was at the FBI, I was in charge of our office for the combined federal campaign, which had nothing to do with being a lawyer for the FBI, but my job was to try to get people to, you know, contribute uh money to the, the volunteer efforts of the nonprofits. So there are opportunities. It's just you have to figure out what's important to you and whether you want to take the time to make it happen. It's not always easy.
0: No, and you bring up a really good point because personal growth is often the difference. But or the desire for personal growth is often the difference when you want to move, as Pam was describing, from right. a management position to a leadership position. Right. And so you can do self-motivated things in sure. order to train you. And when we come back from the break, we have about 30 seconds left. I'd love it if we could talk about some of those messages, the main messages of the book, and how you can apply those things um, if from the military and take it into the private sector because those are important things that you're talking about the marine ethos and then taking it from that point on into the private sector where we can all learn from you thank you so much justin we're going to be back after this short break we're mill resource radio and we'll be back after these short messages Are you a family caregiver in the military community? Join us on VeteranCaregiver.com. In the military and veteran community, there are 5.5 million caregivers of our nation's injured, ill, and wounded. Whether your family member served in World War II or in the most recent Iraq and Afghanistan complex, there are unique needs of military and veteran caregivers. Navigating any medical system takes skill and help in obtaining good care. Veteran Caregiver has access to a rich network of advocates and organizations to assist you. Find excellent resources, short informative videos, an active Facebook community, and empathetic support. Veteran Caregiver supports those from every service branch and those who served in any conflict. Need information on sandwich caregiving, EFMP, or aging issues? VeteranCaregiver.com provides information and community to those managing busy lives with compassionate care. That's VeteranCaregiver.com. Support for those who care. We're here with Justin Constantine talking about his new book. And I guess I'd like to first ask a broader question before we go into what we mentioned during the break. Justin, there are so many military books being written right now, and I know that you had some special uh, directives as you were writing this and, and thinking of your audience and the value that you bring to the table. In the sea of books that military veterans are writing, and all of them are really very interesting with different target audiences, where were you looking to really attract readership and to provide help and um, new ideas to them?
1: Yeah, okay. Um and you're right, there are a lot of different books out there and and so I think a lot of veterans may think, Oh well, I had these unique experiences, but uh who cares what I think? Um there are other books out there but I, I don't agree with that. I think we all have, um, not just veterans, all of us have some incredible stories, and we can all benefit from learning from each other. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, you know, I retired from the Marine Corps as a lieutenant colonel. I deployed as a captain, so I was a mid-level manager, and so that's what I know. And so I, I'm not, my book isn't, uh, although I certainly hope some CEOs and, and high-level leaders read it, that's not my target audience. Like when Secretary Gates or John McChrystal write a book, you know they can talk to the C Street people uh, clearly, but that's not my target audience. I'm into mid-level managers, uh, people who worked hard and were and were promoted, but never really learned how to lead people effectively along the way. So that, that's who I'm trying to influence mostly. And and so as I said, I base my experience as a marine officer, but then also in the in the private and pu- public sector as well. When I when I first uh, before I wrote the book and you know, I've been an inspirational seeker for a couple of years. I first, when I first started seeking, I typically commented on a quote from a Marine officer um, who was killed in action. And I never met him, but I really wish I had. And, and he mm-hmm. sounds, from people I've spoken with and what I've read, like an incredible person. His name was Major Doug Zembiak. Um He's often called the Lion of Fallujah uh, for his action there. He's a Naval Academy grad. He was an incredible wrestler, and we were about the same age. And um, he served combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and also in Kosovo, I believe. And I just I just want to say uh, to the audience a short quote um, he had written in a book or a journal he was keeping before he was killed. And, and the family found the journal, and the short passage is called Lessons from My Father. And I referred to this in the beginning of the book because this is what I try to base. Um, this grounded me, and I use it as a guide for the book. And he wrote, be a man of principle, fight for what you believe in, keep your word, live with integrity, be brave, believe in something bigger than yourself, serve your country. Teach, mentor, give something back to society, lead from the front, conquer your fears, be a good friend, be humble and be self-confident, appreciate your friends and family, be a leader and not a follower, be valorous on the field of battle, and take responsibility for your actions. So I think those are a lot of incredible lessons, especially considering he was you know when and where he was writing these ideas but i think it apply to all of us and that's kind of was the skeleton for my book and and because like i said i've never i never met doug but i think very highly of him i wish i had met him and and so i wanted to highlight his lessons in the in the first chapter of my book and it went from there
0: it's it's excellent and i think that you laid out the book in a unique manner to make it easy to read, so that people yeah. could take the time to absorb the various lessons that you were putting. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, instead?
1: each uh, it's not designed. It, I mean, it's a short book. It's 150 pages, 15 different chapters. So you know, they're more or less 10 pages each. At the end of each chapter, three key takeaways uh, and a picture. Um, they're not. It's not. Although some people told me they read the book from start to finish in a couple hours right away. It's designed to. Perhaps you might buy it at the airport. If I could get it there in Hudson News, that would be great. But <laughs> if you 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 know you can read a, a chapter and put it down or a few chapters, and you can come back and start another chapter, and you don't have to remember. It's not all contingent on what you just read before that or the week before that. They're, they're standard, I mean, of course, they're interlocking ultimately, but they're standalone chapters where people learn each chapter is about a, a particular message or a particular concept, whether it's teamwork, asking for help, integrity, leading from the front. You know, there's a number of different topics there. And so I think that's a good way to learn one chunk at a time.
0: Well, it is because then you have some time to reflect on what you've learned and even try and apply it or see how it fits into your life. Because as you said, it's not just for professional use. It's also for use outside the work environment so that leadership is a concept that goes beyond the office uh, or we'd like it to go. And so if you had to name some of the main messages of the book, what would you say they are?
1: Well, uh, and I mentioned a couple already, but a couple of the... I'd say the top three or four messages that I think are most important for leaders today is uh, principles, have, having a firm foundation of knowing your own principles uh, personally, and then you can apply that to your workplace, and your corporation appropriately, but also integrity uh, that's, that's critical in the military, but it's critical in the private sector as well. Being able to define your vision and and how to incorporate that vision in daily life, putting your people first, I would say, is the number one, Um, my number one message. Taking care of the people around you—that's a universal concept for success. And also, I talk about uh, that change is opportunity, and I think that's important uh, from a business stance because things are always changing. Just they're always changing in the military, but uh, change as opportunity is something that's been a big part of my personal recovery and my personal growth. And it's probably the same. Uh, I believe that everyone is facing different challenges at any given time. And so things are changing, and that can be tough. But if you adopt a mentality of is opportunity, I think that can make a big difference in every aspect of your life. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I love that I love that idea of change as opportunity. Um it, because I believe that. I think people when they get to the challenges, Justin, they sort of either freeze up or they're like or they're apt to um create drama around it, which obviously makes that a lot worse. Um you know, in going forward. But I have a question around folks that may say that when you just mention your chapters and some of the tenets in the book about everyone should be a leader, what do you say to people who say, well, everyone can't be a leader because then you wouldn't have any followers? <laughs> what do you say to those folks who say, who would say, you got to have some people like that are not wired or don't even grow into their abilities to become a leader, um, and how would you
1: address sure. that? You, you, you bring up a valid point, but you know my point is that everyone can be a leader if that's what you want to do. If you are striving for uh, leadership growth, you can do it. You're right; it's not for everyone. Some people aren't uh, don't want that. Some people aren't in a position to uh, what personally or professionally, and, and maybe leadership isn't for everyone. But again, um, there is leadership. Of your own life you know you we make choices every day that influence the rest of our lives and we do have there is personal responsibility is an important uh it's important something important to consider because we're not just cogs in a machine it can seem like that uh, and I'm not saying you can wake up one day and say okay I'm going to be president of a big company tomorrow of course not, but you can say you know what, I'm going to be nice. Um, I'm going to say hi, good morning to three people I, I never have before. I'm going to make a difference in their lives. I'm going to reach out to that person I don't know at work. I'm going to talk to my boss about how I can be uh, better and get promoted. That, that, those are all examples of leadership because you're taking control over something where there wasn't before. And so it's not just being a CEO. There are many levels to it.
0: You know what i I really like your changes opportunity i I would tell you that I often live with the chaos brings opportunity. I think sometimes <laughs> when things are at the oddest and busiest and most hectic that chaos is really just needing to be reordered into turning it into an opportunity. Did you well, ever find that in your personal life?
1: well you know what i, I I see it, yeah, yes, um, but I see it more now as an entrepreneur because I'm I'm trying to focus on you know being an inspirational seeker and pivoting towards corporate leadership development and uh-huh. and veteran employment within that as well. But um, and you've probably seen this as an entrepreneur. People know you're an entrepreneur that you're open to new ideas, and so you get approached with different ideas which sound really good, um, and so. It can be chaotic where you want to take advantage of an opportunity. Maybe it's not part of your core mission or or your core strength. Of course, it will require time to learn how to be really good at it, but maybe you don't want to turn down the opportunity. So there is chaos in, in, in everyday life and trying to figure out where you want to spend your time.
0: Absolutely right. I I heard a quote the other day that said, things aren't falling apart, they're falling into place, which sort of fits with that chaos and opportunity. I have another question for you, Um, and I really am so grateful that you underscored this right in the very beginning as one of the real messages of your book, and that is the issue of integrity. I think that integrity has, in recent years, been – I mean, it is so essential – to being able to trust people and to to move forward with ideas and teams and leadership and all of that. But what do you do when you find that there are others who have a different integrity level than you do? How would you advise people to work with people that perhaps don't have the same value systems that you do? Or would you advise them to not work with those
1: people? Well that's tough, you know, because you have to, first of all, you have to spend time thinking what are your values and mm-hmm. what do you stand for mm-hmm. and, and what are you committed to and do you want to build a firm foundation uh, based on those things? Um, and there's a quote, a quote in here that General Pace, who was the first Marine chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, wrote a testimonial for my book, on the Front Cover, and I've heard him say several times that, if you have integrity, nothing else matters. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters right and so he's saying how how critical it is and and you and I both agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to talk more uh to I want to address your question exactly about how you order people who may not um see this things the same way as you, but i I know we're going to come off on a commercial, so maybe it'd be good to come back to that okay uh, after that.
0: That's absolutely fine. When you were writing the book, was there any particular passage? Excuse me?
1: We're going to commercial.
0: Oh, thanks, guys. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. You have three co-hosts on. Sometimes the host doesn't pay attention. So at any rate, I wanted to come back to what Justin was talking about before the break about uh, when people have different value systems than you are, what are some of the leadership principles that you would apply to at least work with them to try and attain the goals that you're trying to work toward?
1: Well... Um, I- So that's a little bit complicated, and I think if if your concern is that someone's – let me just reflect back on what Major Zembiak wrote, as I mentioned in the beginning. He said, be a man of principle, fight for what you believe in, keep your word, live with integrity. And so if you can do that not only in your personal life but your business life – Decisions won't be so hard to make when you come to situations like you're describing. If you're if you're worried about someone having uh, an ethical system that's less than yours, or someone who makes shady decisions, or whose integrity is questionable, I don't see I don't see the reason to work with that person unless unless you can't get around it. I mean, if that's already part of your institutional nature of work or something, okay, uh, and then you have to find. Some workarounds, but if if you 're in a position to choose whether or not to go into business with that person that, that the, the the pie is too big or the, the pie is big enough to go with someone else I would assume mm-hmm. i wouldn't there is guilt by association there are ways to get brought down by actions of others, so why put yourself in that position because study after study shown that companies with clear uh, inspiring values consistently outpou- outperform. Mm-hmm. Others. Leads who don't have that. So we know that high-performing companies are clear about what they believe in. Uh, and companies that are on the average level aren't so clear. Things are blurry for them. They haven't made those hard lines in the sand. So I think if you want to be a high performer and defined as a person of integrity, you should surround yourself with, with like-minded people.
0: I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and they do say that if you are known as having high integrity, you start attracting That's who right. you are. Okay. And so that, that's really important to do. As you look about, um, I, I am just curious. You have some of the most amazing forewords written by some very, very high level, inspiring people themselves. Yeah. How did you go about getting those testimonials for the book? <laughs> that is really very, yeah, was, very it, you know, complimentary.
1: It was it was a fun exercise. Of course, I was nervous asking you know, people like Senator Elizabeth Dole or Bob Woodruff or CEOs of major companies for testimonials. These are all people who I've gotten to know pretty well over the last few years, some better than others. Um, some are business uh, professors uh, um, at Stanford or Columbia who I've gotten to know during different programs, CEOs of companies where I've given, pre- uh, given presentations Generals from the Army and Marine Corps have gotten to know so I, these are all people who i who I felt um, valued uh, what I had to say and appreciated what i have been through, and people who would say yes to my request i I would never reach out to someone and this is just a tip to other authors, young authors out there. I would never reach out to someone that i didn 't know well and ask for an endorsement because it 's their name going on that endorsement, of course, and so uh, it took a while to come up with that list, but I wanted a list of people who were solid and had great reputations themselves, and I wanted to be associated with them. I, I
0: well, it's, it's, it's exemplary, the list that you have compiled, and um, that was very intriguing, and all of the reviews on your book are, are really five star, so I am looking forward to reading the book. <laughs> I, I am curious, was it difficult to write about Iraq and what happened to you there?
1: Well, um, I talk about it a lot in the speeches I give. Of course, I always reference, you know, when I'm talking about inspiration or or leadership, it all gets back to a rock at one point or another. Well, there's a difference between talking about it and, for some reason, sitting down and, and writing about it and really thinking deeply about it. And so, um, those are typically pleasant uh, memories for me. Yes, I was shot, but. Um, that's just one piece of. That's just one small piece of it. But one, I want to read um, a, a short letter. After I was emailed, not um, I don't know a few months ago from a young Marine who I didn't know his name, uh, but I remember the situation he described. And so writing the book uh, brought back this memory. And so he wrote to me, uh, Justin. I was in the three two India Company First Platoon. I was on the six eleven bridge in Havania. I'm not sure if you remember this, but at the time, I was a corporal, and our squad went out on a patrol with you around the area. On the way back into the base, I got stuck in some of the concertina wire. I started a panic and tugged at my pant leg to break free because two guys were shot shot right in that area by a sniper in the past few weeks. I was a sitting duck, so to speak. Tugging my leg made the situation worse, and I was not accomplishing anything. But then you came up and shielded me with your body toward the city. You told me to calm down and relax, and you would help me get out. In that situation, you made me feel at ease, and I felt safe. At the time, I couldn't believe a major would put his life out there to help me. The next day on the bridge, I woke up in the afternoon after staying post, and I heard you got shot in the head. It crushed me inside because I assumed you had passed on. I kept thinking about the day before and what you did for me. Anything could have happened in that situation, but you took that risk. The action you did really impacted me. To this day, I would tell people how you did that for me, and unfortunately, you got killed the next day. Luckily, I get to change the ending now. And then he went on to um, have a little bit more, but the it- you know, that letter, and I included the book for a reason, because it was about unintended consequences and little actions that you can take on a daily basis, which we've already alluded to here, can make big differences in people's lives. And I I remember that day with him. I didn't know he remembered it, uh, but we were very worried about that sniper that was targeting our Marines there, and I just quickly helped him like any Marine would. But, you know, to get, and I actually started crying when I got that email from him, uh, it was you know, eight years later or something. And so writing that book brought back some powerful uh, emotions for me, some powerful memories. But I'm really glad I went through the process because, um, well, certainly since, since then, now I'm reconnecting with other people as well. But I realize we all learn a lot along the way. Uh, we just have to take the time to reflect on that.
2: That's powerful, I think also that the reconnection that you're making along with sort of uh even yeah. if you re- revisiting these feelings, but at the same time is kind of cathartic i I would imagine to yeah. to write yeah. about that along with your you're doing a lot of speaking about it, Justin, but the writing that's putting it down on paper is like an amazing maybe catharsis for you and I think that's empowering to folks who may read the book um about your messages about your your these things that happened with you to you um, and how they reflect with leadership abilities and integrity and moving in that, that change, right. Moving in that stuff that you spoke to earlier. So I was wondering if you, um, was there any other things other than your situation in Iraq or, and like Linda, I haven't read the book either um, techniques or business strategies or leadership strategies that you might have in the book um, that you might want to tell our audience about at this moment.
1: Well, sure. I mean, my, clearly, uh, in, in the military, you have very defined roles, and so we all know that uh, our, our service members coming out of the military have have a wide array of skills and abilities. But most of them have served in some sort of leadership capacity. No, no one teaches leadership like like the Marine Corps and the other services, of course. Um, so there, there is that. Um, but also, you know, just like everyone else, I've worked in an office where I've seen good, good leaders, good managers, and some that weren't so good. Um, right. uh, and so I draw on that as well. And I also draw on my experience as leading a small team at the US Chamber of Commerce and working on veteran employment. We're also sitting on the board of directors for several national nonprofits. And from co-founding my own nonprofit this past year and the challenges that, that we're going through in developing into a national program. So I'm coming from it um, or at it from a number of different angles, some of which are um, familiar to some people and some which are familiar with others. But uh, I have I, some of the feedback I, I get is that, wow. Uh, I really learned to appreciate every day from what you said. I, I recognize the struggles somewhere are going through, and it, and it makes me feel uh, like I shouldn't complain about traffic. And, and And I laugh when people say that because I get really aggravated tra- at traffic. Yeah, right? <laughs> I
2: mean, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. That doesn't
1: matter. And and what I. What I have learned, as I talk to a lot of people after my speeches, is that many of us are facing serious life struggles, whether personally or from a family member or a friend or, or you name it. And there is no pecking order on which is worse: getting shot in the head versus cancer versus you know they're all they're all hard for what you are facing right now. And so I don't want people to look at what I've gone through and say, "Oh gosh." My life is easy. No, it's take what I've learned and, and put on paper and apply it to your life, however, is most appropriate. Absolutely.
0: You yeah. know, you bring up something that often comes up in the caregiver space. We say that there is not competitive caregiving. Right. And what you're saying here is there's not competitive injuries or leadership right. or struggles. Everyone's got something. Um, some things are just really much more major. But I think we also have to recognize that some people are also blessed with a higher level of being able to take that stress and turn it to positive. What would you say there are some of the personal attributes that you have or that you've seen in leaders that allow them to take adversity and turn it into a challenge and then
1: accomplishment? Yeah, well, it it certainly does take a mindset. I don't think anyone we can look to who we consider great leaders and think they just... Back into it, and it was by accident. I think it, it comes from, as I mentioned earlier, creating a strong foundation and platform early on on what you believe in and what your values are, where you want to go, how you're going to get there. It's like when you, it's like when you uh, make New Year's resolutions. It's not enough to say I want to lose 20 pounds this year or I want to make you know insert dollar amount here. Are you following up every month on that? Have you created a checklist of steps you have to take to get there? It's a follow-through and the details that are important. So in my recovery, like Dahlia and I, you know, and Dahlia was a critical part of my recovery. Not every wounded warrior has someone like Dahlia, so I've been incredibly fortunate for that. But we also spend a lot of time on prioritizing what's important to us. And where I wanted to go with my new life and how I would get there, um, so professional but also personal, which you know life work life balance is is incredibly important to all of us, and so i don 't think you can have uh, life lifelong success if you 're not focusing on your personal life too, so for us, it was where where Here's a list of the top 10 places we want to go on vacation. Here's some classes we might want to take together. Here's where we may want to live later in life. So all these things that affect your well-being are are important because you can't just go through life um, going to work, clocking in, coming home, making dinner, watching TV, and go to bed. I mean, I guess you could, but you're you're missing out on so much that life has to offer if that's what you're, you're relegating yourself to
0: perfect analogy it really is important to lead your life not just accept your life and as you said, right. make the most of it as you're going through it and i'm so glad that you gave those examples of the personal life priorities because they're just as important as some of the professional ones do they say when you are on your deathbed you're not going to say i wish i worked more
1: right
0: absolutely right. so we're going on a short break and we will be back after these short messages you're listening to military network radio and we'll be right back We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Are you a dynamic woman? Sandra Beck and Linda Crater host Dynamic Women Talk Radio, bringing lively weekly shows in a roundtable format with influential guests from around the globe. This amazing tribe of diverse and accomplished women share their candid views on topics such as reputation, handling rejection, loyalty, what is sexy, overthinking, blended families, and much more. Discussions are joyful with freedom to address topics from various perspectives with candor, respect, and no judgment. These are the conversations you wish you could have with all your family and friends. Dynamic women have lived their lives boldly with unexpected and sometimes undesired turns in the road of life. Yet detours and bumps bring opportunity, personal growth, more authenticity, and a fresh outlook. Join our welcoming tribe of dynamic women each Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, also on iTunes, and more information at dynamicwomentalkradio.com. Celebrating vibrant, charismatic women everywhere. Justin Constantine talking about his new book, My Battlefield, Your Office. And I am wondering, I've seen a lot of great reviews, but I'd like to hear your take. What's the feedback that you've received, whether in reviews or just from friends and those who know you?
1: Well, thanks, Linda. I've, I've already heard that from a number of friends who've read the book but also on Facebook people who I don't know have sent me messages. One thing I one thing I thought was interesting I've heard from several people and these are of uh, probably people in their mid forties with kids who are teenagers saying they would really like me to write a, a version Uh, with a focus towards today's teenagers Mm. Uh, and who um, I think their parents feel they lack a certain, uh, maybe they take a lot of things for granted or they have a lot of opportunities that didn't exist when their parents were growing up and so they want their kids to see, that. I guess this this is of course depending on what kind of background you have, that that life can be very challenging but um, there are Plenty of ways to to success, despite that. So maybe the way chicken soup for the soul had a whole bunch of other different versions. I might I might make a version for uh, you know for teenagers on this as well, uh, and, and, that, and that's that's been consistent with the rest of the feedback I've just gotten. i am very fortunate. At least what I've heard has been unif- uniformly positive so far. That's
0: terrific, and I think that idea for teenagers is a valuable one because I think that we've got such a different generation with so many distractions and digital and information available to them all the time, and I don't think that leadership skills are generally taught in the schools anymore. I know we used to have things called civics back when dinosaurs roamed when I was in school, Um, but it, it is one of those things... Pam, stop laughing. I'm I'm laughing because I I can relate. Justin and I are like, me too. Right. Right. Well, but I think sometimes those were where you learned things or when you learned how to debate both sides of the the equation. I thought that was especially valuable. And in today's age, that doesn't generally happen. So, Justin, I think writing a teenage version, which also shares some of the attributes of being selfless and servant uh, leadership and that kind of thing would be really valuable.
1: Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll do that.
0: Well, you're not busy enough, so that that should <laughs> be next. You know, there are a lot of veterans writing books. Yeah. Do you have any advice for them about either how to get started, uh, what to do in the middle, and then finally, how do you get your book published?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see, and I have on my bookshelf half a dozen books written by veterans. So I'm I'm glad to see there's already that's already going on, and that a lot more want to, and. You know for me i it was a little bit easier because I'd already given a lot of speeches and written blogs and articles, so I was able to um, rely and draw on a lot of those resources. but uh, even if're you know your book is starting with you by you're writing the first words um, for the book. I think you you should have an overall idea of where you want to go, and then just focus chapter by chapter. And the the common the common advice is you have to dedicate time each day to do that. And I think that's more or less accurate. Otherwise, because this is a passion project, it's, you can't have the mentality where you're going to make this book or write this book to make a million dollars. It's a book because that's just that's just not how the industry works. But for me. Uh, I wrote the book to help establish credibility and to get my story out there more and to open up other doors, uh, which I think is uh, probably the same reason a lot of authors write. And so uh, as long as you understand it's not about the money, but it's about credibility and um, just, just so you can write more books and so you can reach more people. So that's a healthy attitude that, should, that other veterans should have. People across America want to hear our stories. So if you are a veteran or a service member or a family member, and I think about writing a book, but the only thing that's getting in your way is that no one cares, that's not true. Nine percent nine, of of the country did not serve, and they're interested to know what life is like for us. hmm so I also think it's okay to talk to someone to help you with your book, whether it's a ghostwriter or a mentor, or someone to keep the wheels going on that. And also, um, there are steps you can take. There are services you can buy to help you with social media, or you can, where you can do it yourself. Like for one, one thing that I did was I made a list of. I worked with a gentleman named Tom Morse, who helps veterans write books, and. One one technique he has is you get, when you're ready to release your book, you have 100 ambassadors. These are people who you're good friends with and will promote your book for you. And so I made a list of about 150 or 200 and sent them an email with, you know, timelines to my book and the links and what I wanted them to do. Send it out to them not everyone said they had the time to help out but a lot did because they want to see me do well and they know I would do the same for them if they asked me and so now I have a list of ambassadors who I reach out to every week for about three or four weeks and ask them to promote my book on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever and, and to read it and write, it, or write a review which is also very important on Amazon so there's mm-hmm. some tech and, and I'm happy to answer any questions my email is Justin at JustinConstantine.com or connect on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever um, to to really walk anyone through the steps I took as well.
0: I think that's great, Justin, and I appreciate you giving out your URL. We were going to do that at the end. I would be remiss if I did not mention your recent TEDx talk. Oh. Because it was phenomenal, and I've watched it several times, getting new information each time that I do watch it. Can you tell listeners about it, and then where they can go to take a look at it? Because sure. it is one of your key inspirational speeches, and is really very heartwarming.
1: Well, I really appreciate that. I put more time into that fifteen or twelve minute talk into any presentation I've uh, given in three years because <laughs> you know I had to have it all memorized, and I knew it was going to be. It's a a big audience, and so Mm -hmm. people can go to my website, justinconstantine.com, and right there on the homepage, there's a link to it, but I I enjoyed, I mean, I talked about myself, of course, because the title is You're Stronger Than You Think You Are, which applies to every single one of us, but it wasn't just about me. It was about uh, Leo Thorsness, who also wrote a testimony for my book, who was a Medal of Honor recipient, and spent six years in the Hanoi Hilton after being shot down in Vietnam, and then a woman I randomly met here in, in New York, who was a broker for our apartment, who went through a series of incredibly uh, brutal and challenging um, mm-hmm. uh, times in her life, and so I just wanted to show that there are different people we can learn from, uh, but who these the three of us all really have come to the other side with moving, upbeat messages. And that was really my point. But I I enjoy working on it. Now I'm actually going back to Boston to do another one for a doctor's group in March and then one for S.J. Lauder here in New York uh, later on in the year as well, based on that. So it's working out quite nicely.
0: That's wonderful. (laughs) I think one of the things that struck me in the TEDx talk was as you spoke today, you are also very grateful for the steps and the people who've come into your life by mentioning George Grant, John Bueller in that TEDx talk, as well as obviously in your book. And I think that that attitude of gratitude, while a cliche really does have meaning and underpins some of that integrity and foundational sense of knowing something's bigger than you are and that you are helping others coming behind you. And I think that that, always underlying those who have helped you is a a very strong part of why your message resonates. Pam, would you agree with that.
2: Absolutely. I think that the the integrity piece is critical but also Mm -hmm. what I want to and I I think just Justin's um, persona about integrity as it surrounds the challenges or changes, it's opportunities uh, piece that comes up is really um, it's really, it was apparent to me at the TED Talk too. I thought it was actually um, wonderful, um, Justin. And it's really, you know, why you probably could come up with a list of 150 people (laughs) to be You're, you know, whatever you were like. Oh, he said yeah. 100, so I took it up to 150 because yeah. I mean, yeah. nobody would be like, okay, we're not going to do this for Justin. I mean, just yeah. by, just by knowing you, I mean that's just my personal. Um, relationship with you. So I think that absolutely, I I think it's great. I think, um, and I want to know now that you've, what's next for you now that you've done this book, you've got your nonprofit, you've got this TEDx talk under your belt, got all this other stuff going on with the chamber. What else is on your plate
1: oh sure um, you know I appreciate the question um and Linda I, re- I appreciate your comments as well um, I, I do I'll just address that real quick I do think it's very important for us to never forget those who help us in life and and how we can help others you Absolutely. Know, and, and, and in my book uh, I mentioned that that's the difference between when a manager gets an award and the first person they thank you is their team versus saying you know I worked hard on this and I appreciate that that's I like seeing that, and we all do. I think, um, as far as what's next for me, as we wrap up, um, you know, I'm pivoting from being a keynote seeker to focusing more on corporate leadership development. So I'm starting a, a, taking a certificate course in coaching. I was recently accepted into the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program, which is hosted by the Presidential Libraries of uh, President both President Bush Bush's and President Clinton and Linda B. johnson so that 's a six month program there's sixty of us in our cohort, and we learn take a really deep dive into leadership and, and affecting change in our communities and We all have personal projects that we 're working on mine's a nonprofit so I hope um, throughout this year I really refine my skills in leadership and expand my base knowledge and learn how I can coach uh, executives and other leaders on challenges they're facing in their lives. That's really where I want to go. Great. I'm also working on two other books, one about hiring veterans and employing veterans, and one another business leadership book about character traits we value in the military and in the private sector as well.
0: I love that Pam said, what's on your plate? Well, he's got a buffet table. like, we don't have (laughs) enough time for it, but yeah, it is a buffet. (laughs) That's a buffet table, I think. Um, Justin, once again, give people the URL where they can find out more about you.
1: Sure. My website is justinconstantine.com, and of course, links to my book and everything else are on there. Specifically, if they want to go right to the book page to learn a lot more about uh, the book, it's simply www.mybattlefieldyouroffice.com
0: Absolutely. And, Justin, thank you for coming on this morning. We are so delighted to be able to promote your efforts and the book. I think what I always am struck by when we have you on the radio is that you have humility instead of the hubris one normally sees in those who are very accomplished. And I think that your love of your fellow man with the integrity and making a difference by helping those who come after you comes through. And so the benefit for all of us who are associated with you is that we gain just by being around you. you and learning from you. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Thank you for listening to Mill Resource Radio. For more information, go to millresourceradio.com.